This yes. is an interview oh. on October 6th, 2014, with At The Gates singer Thomas Lindbergh by Nick Perkel. Now, Tom, what do you see as the major differences in the recording processes between 1995 to 2014, and how do those differences impact what you were able to accomplish when it came to creating the finished product of At War With Reality? I would say the actual recording process is, uh, of course, a bit more uh, what you would call easy these times, you know, you know, with the digital uh, aspect, you can actually cut in and, you know, you, you, you can paste in the, the vocals after, you know, the first verse was cool, let's do the chorus again, kind of thing. But uh, as you couldn't really do that back in the day because, you, you know, you, you had to, you know, cut the tape and with scissors, you know, <laughs> that's how old we are. But uh, that is easier in a way, but we're, we're also an old kind of band that really are after the old school vibe where, you know, a good take is a good take. And we really went into the studio really well prepared. You know, we meticulously went through all the details and all the songs, everybody knew the parts. So what it really comes down to is the atmosphere in the studio, which is, you know, why we went back to Fredman Studios in Gothenburg. I mean, he has, you know, of course, during the years, uh, evolved, you know, technically uh, and, you know, equipment wise, but the, you know, the, the aura and the feel and, and, the, and the guys working there are the same. Therefore, we were after that, you know, kind of old school vibe where, where the feeling and the atmosphere is more important because when you're in a, an environment where you feel kind of safe and, and you, you could, uh, with people you trust and could be yourself around, then that's when you can open up and, and uh, you emotionally and, and uh, capture these more, what you would call, you know, fevered takes almost, you know, the, the ones that really matter. That, that was most important for us, actually. Can you speak about how much input you were able to contribute for the instrumental parts of At War With Reality? Uh, me personally? Yes, yes. Uh, well, we have, you know, two main writers in the band, Anders and Jonas. Like, I would say Anders wrote 70% of the music, Jonas 30. Uh, but when it, you know, when it uh, comes down to arranging and, and actually, you know, kind of structuring the songs, I, I would say I'm, I'm as involved as these two guys are because they really trust my opinion. And, and we were really moving stuff around, trying different stuff, you know, being a bit adventurous in, in the writing stages. Uh, we said, you know, everything goes, uh, but also everybody has to be happy with everything. So we can try everything, but then, you know, we have to, have, have to go through a lot of filters as well. But I would say, uh, as, you know, arranging and, and songwriting goes, I, I would say I'm, I'm uh, really had the chance to, uh, be a part of it uh but the actual you know you know coming up with the songs on the guitar that's not my part of the band okay now calling your album at war with reality is there any sort of theme to the stories you're trying to share when it comes to the lyrics of this album yeah it is actually uh believe it or not a concept album uh I w there's not many comeback records that are concept records I, I believe at least you know uh the, at least what i'm familiar with so we thought you know let's be a bit you know shocking here to to kind of prove to to our listeners to our fans that we are still very kind of inventive and creative and inspired you know 
because that's what it takes to write a concept record. So yeah, there's, there's an over, over, uh, underlying theme to all the songs, really. Uh, At War With Reality is uh, lyrically and conceptually my kind of my baby. It came from the idea I was reading. I always, you know, been, been a big reader, both, uh, you know, novels and also, you know, uh, scientific, more, you know, philosophical books and stuff like that. Uh, I had this idea when I was reading uh, a lot of South American writers uh, recently that, you know, there was a similar red thread to it. And I, I started to discover that there was uh, an underlying literature genre called magic realism uh, in the uh, post-colonial countries of, of South America, you know, in the 40s, 50s and 60s, I would say. And the way these novels were constructed uh, the way they were written, it, it just intrigued me so much. I wanted to try to create, you know, writing that was along these lines. So, first of all, the main first part of the concept is how the lyrics are written. They are very multi-layered. Uh, there's subplots. There's hidden meanings. There's this fevered dream world existing underneath. There's still a lot of intertextuality and uh, eclecticism in it, and also. This belief that you, as a listener, uh, recreate the lyric again uh, for yourself while uh, while reading it or, or listening to it. You know, I created it once, uh, writing it, but then you create it again by, while you're listening to it. Uh, and the way, you know, the philosophical aspect of this whole uh, literature genre just inspired me so much and fired me up. So I, I started writing; I couldn't really stop. <laughs> you know, um, and the other concept which kind of deals, you know, more philosophical depth is, uh, is the war uh, uh, with reality. Not not the war against, you know, yeah, I hate the world. It's very, you know, it's a cruel place. I'm at war with reality. It's nothing like that. It's more deep and it's really theoretically grounded uh, in postmodernism uh, and post-structuralist thought, you know, that the war is against one model for explaining reality. Uh, we are more uh, into the idea that you need to always reconquer reality. Uh, there's a line in the first song that says, "With every with every dawn, the world deforms," uh, meaning that you know everybody's reality is constantly changing, and, and everybody's reality is different from each other depending on you know um, experiences, context, and, and stuff like that. So, having you know, for example, religion or, or a political viewpoint. To, to explain the world, I, I, we believe that is wrong, you know, to, to have one idea for everything. Now, I was listening to the song Death in the Labyrinth, which was the second song in the album. I really felt like this was like the true beginning of the album. Like, what types of feelings and reactions do you hope to invoke in your fans when they're listening to this song for the first time? Well, for us, it's very... We, we put a lot of effort into, into the actual, you know... Um, uh, the track listing that it should follow uh, have a have a good flow and it also follows you know the uh, the lyrical concept a little bit so uh, we really want them to be touched emotionally by the songs because for our last album before this uh, for sort of a soul we felt after we had done that record we were we were pleased with it. it was a good record but we felt it was pretty one dimensional it was very aggressive all the way through uh, whereas our older records had uh, a lot of different emotions on them. And we really wanted to bring that back a little bit, you know, the, you know, the melancholy, the desperation, the frustration, not just only anger, you know, all the time. Uh, 
and we believe all the, the songs on the new record individually have a, a personal depth to them. You know, we have one song that is more just dark and maybe just almost evil, you know, creepy. And then you have the uh, more mel- melancholic, frustrated songs. And, uh, and the last song of the record even has a little, little bit of a spark of, you know, triumphant hope to it in the middle of all the darkness. They're very honest uh, for us, you know, as musicians and, and, and vocalists. We really try to portray feelings uh, you know, first hand. Now, for the song The Head of the Hydra, I think probably that was my favorite song on the album. You say, we invoke a monument, a final stand, and go on like that. Is this about, like, starting a revolution? And if so, are you referring to anything going on in today's world? Uh, well, The Head of the Hydra is kind of, in one way, that's a very desperate song and, and it has a lot of frustration in it. And now, I mean, you have already starting to decipher, you know, one of the layers to, 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 to the lyrics of that song. And it deals, you know, uh, it has a revolutionary theme for sure, but it also deals, you know, with the, uh, the emotional aspect of a, of a revolution gone wrong, you know, or a revolution, you know, kind of, you know, a stillborn revolution almost, uh, and, the, and, and the desperation and frustration that leaves. I mean, one one thing that inspired me to write that song was was the Arab Spring, you know, and uh, especially what happened in G- Egypt and Syria, where you know, for for the you know from the start there was like left wing intellectuals that were starting the revolutions to try to you know create. A better world when and in the end it, it became uh, uh, something else that they didn't really want at all uh, and that kind of emotion that was the emotion I was playing with with this track what song on the album was the most difficult to write and how'd your band work together to make all the arrangements flow naturally for that track well uh, Actually, the one that is that made the album uh, out of the 13 tracks you have heard is actually the head of the Hydra. That was the one <laughs> we were struggling most with because uh, uh, in, in the end, I think we really achieved, you know, to have that kind of flow in the song. But it, there was a lot of parts. They're, they're all kind of really strong parts in that song. It was just like how to make them flow naturally without, you know, but still keep it interesting all the way through. Uh, that was that was a struggle with that one. It it could be you know perceived as easy to do that. Oh, we have four or five great parts here. Let's just throw them together. You know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. But well, some riffs it's hard to go back from. You know, <laughs> you know they're too big to to actually go back into another one after that. And uh, that was actually quite a struggle with that one. Believe it or not. <laughs> uh, well, no, I mean. Um, as I said, there are different layers in that song as well, uh, uh, lyrically, but uh, I explained the main themes and uh, let, let the listener uh, uh, delve into it a little bit more. But also, uh, as you say, um, no, I think it's cool, you know, that you, you know, we touched upon the subject about like how it's easy to write an easy song, some, uh, how, how difficult that could be, you know. For the song, The Book of Sand, The Abomination, like there's lyrics like we run like rats around the world. It's repeatedly chanted with different verses and has like a persistent theme. What are you alluding to with those lyrics? Well, uh, the Book of Sign is from the beginning uh, a novel by uh, Jorge Luis Borges, uh, the Argentinian writers from the 40s. And in his 
his version uh, that I kind of, that was my starting point, his novel, uh, The Book of Sand is like a book that never ends, uh, really, you know, that the, you know, the, it just goes on uh, and kind of in, uh, engulfs you and, and kind of, um, it doesn't let you go, <laughs> you know, you, you go, you kind of go crazy from reading it. Uh, uh, I, I was, start, that was my starting point of it, and then I kind of added uh, the whole kind of media flow we're we're in uh, now in, in in the 2000s and and how how uh, what all knowledge is kind of like superficial and just out there and not really uh, has to be uh, um, conquered uh, or or kind of learned. You can just everything is out there, so you don't really have to focus. And as lo- as long as you are kept happy somehow if you have a you know plastic screen or, or or internet connection you're fine you know and this kind of deluded way of, of perceiving the world is kind of what what I'm raging against in that song you know uh, because it's really uh, uh, against how protectionist we have become in the Western world today uh, and you know how blind we are to what's really going on for these next two songs I want to talk about like I was not able to track them down or anything so um just can you tell me about the bonus tracks language of the dead and the skin of a fire um I wasn't able to track down anything on there so but I'm just curious I know they're bonus tracks well language of the dead uh, I mean both of these tracks are, are you know they're not substandard that's against tracks whatsoever they, they uh, at at the time of deciding the track listing of the record, we couldn't really find a good way of incorporating them within within the concept concept of of, of the record. Um, Language of the Dead is is really a song, you know, with with just some minor um, arrangement changes. It could have been on on one of our earlier records. It has this very Strong melodic uh, feel to it, uh, almost reminiscent to you know the band Dissection from Sweden. A lot of that that kind of vibe to it, almost a little, little bit black metal uh, vibe on, on on some of the verses. I really enjoy that song, uh, and it kind of also is a twin song lyrically to Death and the Labyrinth. So on on the the kind of expanded edition kind of thing, these two songs are actually. Because we won't, we couldn't, you know, have a different ending to the record than the Night Eternal. That was the ending song, you know. No matter what, we couldn't put bonus tracks on, on after that, you know, because that would doesn't wouldn't make sense for us. The language of the dead and the skin of a fire is actually right in the middle of the record after, uh, after Book of Sand, I think, you know, on on the, on the expanded edition. The skin of a fire is more very cinematic. Uh, cinematic slow track it was from the start almost instrumental but we added two verses to it just just to to twist it around a little bit you know but it is mostly an instrumental track we just then we have this very uh, aggressive statement on the verses uh, uh, on that one thinking back on the studio sessions for this album was there any material recorded but not released yet that you'd like to release in the future uh, no, everything that we recorded this uh, summer is going to be on, on a different format or, 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 or uh, available somehow uh, at the same time as, as the original album uh, through Century Media or different kind of versions. I, I'm not really, you know, we we, we are the artists. We, we record stuff and we decide on the track listing for the for the normal record. But then how 
different formats. We have some control of it because we, you know, we always ask the question, but in, in, in the different regions, how they're going to be available, uh, I'm not really sure, but all the songs are going to be available at the same time. This year has some really amazing albums from Rigor Mortis, Exodus, Bloodbath, and more. What are some albums that you're really excited about? Uh, well, for that, that are coming out or, or have come or, out. Or, like, I mean, just for, like, a, the 2014 cycle. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and I have to warn you, I'm pretty crap of, you know, sometimes remembering if they were released this year or last year sometimes. Wh- whatever, say what's, uh, I really whatever's like, on your mind. Uh, I really like the new uh, record by uh, 1349, the, was it, Massive Crawler and Chaos. Uh, they have, you know, put the black metal thing more into, you know, strong songwriting on that one. I really enjoy that. Like I think Paul Barrow released a good record this year. You know, uh, Foundations of Burden, that was a good one, a strong one. Uh, like I think it's always a bit hard. Uh, there's a Switzerland band called Bolzer, Bolzer that released an EP that was really cool. Uh, Morbus Kron from Sweden, uh, also on Century Media Records, released a cool record. There's a Swedish band called uh, Goat, which is more um, what you called world music, but more in an evil way. Uh, they released an album called Commune on Sub Pop Records, which was really cool. Uh, I think this, the last Swans record came out in 2014 as well, uh, To Be Kind. That's a great one. <laughs> the, the, and the new Godfest is coming out. <laughs> That's cool. Symbolically, what are the two hands holding back on the cover of At War with Reality? Well, uh, to be honest, this, this is, um, you know, we have an artist that has worked on all uh, the record, the whole theme of the record. And Costin, this remaining guy that we work with, a friend, great friend of ours, he is uh, very into this philosophical concept as well. And basically, when I talked with him about it, and, and he was really fired up, I was, uh, I just, you know, he wanted all the lyrics. Uh, and after reading all the lyrics and we, we, we touched with them, he said, is it okay if I, you know, portray each of these lyrics with a original painting, original artwork for everyone, uh, every one of them? Uh, and I mean, that was very flattering, very humbling experience to have an artist that you really enjoy to, to take, you know, give their take on the, what the lyrics are about. So these are his interpretations, you know, of, of the lyrics. So it's actually his vision. So yeah, <laughs> that's the question for him, basically. Mm. But I mean, for, for each of the lyrics in the, in the album, album sleeve, there will be a painting for each of the songs. So the, the, the painting you see on the front cover is the painting uh, for the title track at War With Reality. Your band has had a long, fruitful musical partnership. How is that partnership working now compared to the way it did, say, 20 years ago? Uh, well, we have grown as uh, people uh, in, more, uh, you know, not so much like, you know, if a band says, oh, we have matured, it usually means they have slowed down. Uh, that is not what I mean. I mean, we are as people more mature, so we can actually listen a bit better to each other. Um, and since the reunion in 2008, when we came back the first time, we kind of almost, you know, made a pact, an agreement that everybody should be uh, into everything we do. Everybody should agree with everything. Uh, we shouldn't, uh, no one ha- should have to compromise 
whatsoever, uh, you know, with their integrity or, or with their person or where, what they wanted to do with the band. And that statement of intent that we did in 2008, that has helped us so much during all these years since then, you know, because we all had that within us, you know, that kind of like respect for each other. And, and uh, that kind of, we haven't argued since 2008 <laughs> you know, because of that. We travel around the world, you know, we, we usually, a lot of times we're really tired and maybe hungry or, you know, frustrated over some, you know, um, some guitar cable that doesn't work, whatever, but we'd never take it out on each other because we, we understand, you know, each other so well. And we, we all want this to work so badly and we kind of give ourselves room. We are, it sounds weird, but we are, we are a super democracy and it really, really works. You played at the Maryland Death Fest this year. What was that experience like for your band? Uh, it was great. I mean, uh, Oh, that, that was a festival that, uh, you know, I played it a lot of times, uh, a lot of years ago, I mean, I was going to say, uh, with my other band, Disfear, and but then it was just starting out, it was very underground. But, you know, those kind of festivals that, you know, you can go see tons of great bands yourself, uh, you can hang out, there's a very relaxed and cool vibe. Uh, I mean, to see Baltimore, you know, walking around Baltimore, uh, and it's just, you know, half the population is all, all of a sudden, you know, metalheads. Uh, it's a great feeling. We, we really enjoyed it. Do you see a return trip back to America in the works, perhaps, say, 2015 sometime? Definitely. Uh, we are already planning this. And, and uh, as soon as we can say anything about the dates, we will. <laughs> you know, uh, right now, it's just being planned and, and, and you know, uh, promoters are being contacted and booking agents are working with each other. Uh, so as soon as we can tell, we will. But we will be back uh, in the U.S. Uh, ASAP. I would promise that. Like, honestly speaking, what do you think more like, say, late summer or fall 2015 would be the likely time for a return visit for At The Gates in America? I would say earlier than that. Awesome. I would say now, spring. Other bands I've interviewed say that perhaps the hardest part of being a modern day musician is basically just surviving life on the road. What's touring life like for At The Gates and how do you make the whole experience livable? Um, a lot of it comes from what I told you about before, our, our you know super democracy kind of vibe. And we, um, we are also, of course, pretty privileged that we, you know, we, we could choose to travel pretty, pretty well, you know, uh, when we travel. Nowadays, as compared to when we were a young band starting out, you know, we rather keep the the trips interesting for ourselves and really just go where we want to go and uh, play for our our people, you know, instead of touring the hell out of it, out of it. And we believe in shorter, uh, more quality trips, you know, uh, not you know six, seven weeks touring. That that's what break bands up, I would say. And also, you know, in the meantime, trying to hang out, you know, do other stuff than, than in music during the daytime. Go see the town, uh, you know, go eat lunch somewhere else, you know, go, you know, take a cab downtown and have a salad at, at the great, you know, at your recommended place. Go see a site, you know, stuff like that. That's what, you know, keeps bands alive. And, or, you know, we have pretty interested people, you know, in, in whatever, in culture, architecture, food, uh, literature. We are, you know, to not just fall into this numbness 
that people might experience on the road. That is a great way of surviving it. Now, although this may be premature, what are you planning for At The Gates after the touring cycle for this new album completes? Uh, well, that is one thing I would rather leave unsaid because of you know the history we, ha- we have with statements <laughs> and we have okay. made two major statements and <laughs> we have broken them you know uh, in 2008 we said we were never going to come back again or, uh, and then we came back in 2011 and uh, in 2011 we said we were never going to record a new record and now we did that so I mean right now we feel that we are an active band we are back on the circus you know we feel alive and we wanted to, to do more like if I say, you know, yeah, we're going to record the new record in 2016, I might have to eat my words, you know, or if I say this is the last At The Gates record, I might have to eat my words as well. So I'd rather leave it a little bit open, but right now we feel we are an active band. But, you know, again, that might change. Who knows? We feel very good where we are at night, right now. Would you like to go back to any questions? Well, no, uh, I, I believe this was uh, one of the, you know, more interesting interviews. There's a, there's a lot of uh, diversity to the questions and the way you went into some, you know, some of the lyrics uh, made it, you know, more interesting for myself because, I mean, I've done a lot of interviews for this record and I noticed straight away, if, if, if you know, I, I, I forget to look on, on the watch <laughs> before, you know, so uh, it was a good one. I, I believe you touched on most of the subjects. Much appreciated. Final words. Well, uh, to all our American fans, we we, we want to say like thanks for um, sticking out. You know, uh, waiting around for this new record. And uh, right now, we can't wait until we hear all you guys' reactions to it. I mean, uh, we for all your journalists, uh, we already heard your reactions. But you know, for the for the other fans, this is why we do it. So we really want to go out there and play the songs live for you as soon as possible. Hi, this is Thomas Lindbergh from At The Gates. You're listening to Japan Nick's Rock and Metal Pandemonium.